The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is good to be with you. If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, I, I recognize that uh, you, some of you may be here for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you're still kind of uh, getting to know people, learning the way we do things. And, and I recognize that uh, as you uh, come to a new place, that walking in these doors can be a daunting thing. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel unsure, right? You, maybe you won't know anyone. Maybe no one will talk to you. Maybe too many people will talk to you. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever it is, I, I hope that, that uh, what you find, though, as you come into this place is that uh, you find a people who are hospitable and welcoming and a people who are uh, aware of our need for grace, that, that we are in need of it, that we're in need of Jesus and his work on our behalf. And, and I pray that that's what you would hear from us and you would experience it in, in our lives and, and in our ways and in the ways in which we spend time with one another. So, um, so that is my hope, that is my desire, that is our um, prayer, that, that whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here with us from the very beginning, that you would know more of the gospel because of this time. So uh, welcome, if you are a guest or a visitor. Well, this morning, uh, as Bob prayed, we are continuing in Mark chapter 1. So this is the third sermon in Mark 1. Uh, there's one more to go. I promise we will leave the first chapter at some point. Uh, we, will, we will start moving into Mark deeper. But uh, this morning, we're looking at Mark 1, verses 14 through 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along on the screen in just a moment. But if you were with us last week, then you, you hopefully remember that we heard about Jesus' baptism, right? John, the Baptist, he's still out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people as they're coming out to him, a baptism of repentance. And Jesus comes out, and he is baptized. And this baptism, if you were with us, you remember that, that I said this baptism was like a royal anointing. It was declaring to Jesus, but also to those who would hear, that that Christ is the king, that the promised one that they had been waiting for, he had arrived and he had been anointed by the Spirit and declared by God the Father to be his divine, unique son. And so Christ is this faithful king that they've been waiting for. He's the faithful king who is to come. But, But what is a king without subjects? I mean, what is a king without followers? That's what a king has, right? A king has people who follow after him. A king is one who leads people. He has followers. And this morning, we're going to see in our passage Jesus calling his first followers. And we're going to see from Mark 1 what it means for us to be followers of him. So let's read Mark 1, beginning in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. 
And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would lead us now, that you would teach us what it means to follow you, and that you would equip us by your spirit to follow you, that we would walk with you and know you, and then all of our ways you would be honored and glorified. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the great um, classic inspirational movies is that wonderful movie with Robin Williams, Dead Poets Society. I imagine many of you have seen this movie, right? It, it centers around this man, John Keating, Mr. Keating, who is uh, a teacher at an all-boys prep school in, in New England. And this Mr. Keating, he teaches English, he teaches literature, he teaches poetry, and, and it's around poetry that the movie uh, centers. And he has this group of students, this one class that, that he's encouraging and he's spending time with, and he's trying to inspire them to see the world through their own eyes. And so you remember for this class, they had a motto, right? This Latin phrase that became the motto of their class, carpe diem, seize the day. And in this scene where Mr. Keating is telling them about this, Carpe Diem sees the day, he whispers in their ears, make your lives extraordinary. That's what he's encouraging them to, to do, right? To throw off, to throw off the, the feeling of, of um, conformity that had been placed upon them. To, to actually start to see the world and to live in the world as their own men, as, as their own people. And so later a scene occurs where they're in the courtyard and, and there's three boys, he has them walking around a circle and, and they start off just walking in any way, but over time, very quickly, they start walking in complete unison, right, right left, right, left, right, left, like soldiers. And, and the other boys who are standing and watching, they start clapping in unison, in rhythm, to their soldier walking, right, to their marching, to their unison that the, the, they do this, they all start to do the very same thing. And, and, and Mr. Keating, he stops them and he says to them, he says, everyone started off with their stride, their own pace, but then you, you start to conform to one another. And he goes on and says, I brought this up to illustrate the point of conformity, the difficulty in maintaining your own beliefs in the face of others. Now, we all have a great need for acceptance, but you must trust that your beliefs are unique, your own. Even though others may think them odd or unpopular, even though the herd may say that's bad, and that's how he said it, right? Like a sheep, right? Like a herd, that's bad. I want you to find your own walk, your own way of striding, pacing any direction, anything you want, whether it's proud, whether it's silly, anything, swim against the stream. So you hear what he's encouraging them to do, right? He's encouraging them to live as their own man, to live by their own autonomy. And I have to say that this scene and this movie is very romantic because of that call. It's very romantic because it strikes at what's in the heart of every one of us. It strikes at that desire for us to be our own captain, to be the masters of our souls. And it bristles against that idea of conformity and of following others, 
right? Like we don't want to be known as followers, right? We say that word, that phrase with disdain, right? With disgust, you're such a follower, right? No one wants to hear that. And so we end up elevating autonomy and self-sufficiency to our highest virtue. It's got to be one of the highest virtues in, in Western, the Western world, right? That we are our own person, that we have control over our lives. But the problem with autonomy and the problem with self-sufficiency, well, there, there, to be honest, there are many problems, but one of the problems is that it makes following the problem. But following isn't the problem. Who you follow is the problem. You see, the truth is, is that for all of our desires, for all of our wants to be autonomous, to call our own shots, we are all followers. We will follow something or someone. We will follow friends or politicians. We'll follow celebrities or social media influencers. We'll even follow our own sinful hearts. We will follow someone. And so right from the beginning, we need to lay aside the arrogant idea that we are our own person and that we don't follow anyone because that is just not true of any person in this room. And what we need to see is that in the kingdom of God, Follower is not a pejorative title. It's actually one of great honor. It's one of great honor. In verse 16, Jesus comes to Simon and Andrew and says, follow me. And later to James and John, he calls to them and they leave behind their nets and they follow him. You see, they follow. They are followers. And this, so this passage is confronting us with a series of questions. It's confronting us with the questions of, are we following Christ? And what does it mean to follow him? And what does following look like? And what it looks like is repenting and believing. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, up until now, we've heard uh, Mark narrating the different things that are occurring so far in the Gospel of Mark. We've heard the voice of John the Baptist, right, preparing the way for the Lord. We've heard God the Father speak over his son, a great blessing, but we haven't heard Jesus' voice. Have you noticed that? If you have a red letter Bible, you know those Bibles that, you know, Jesus' words are in red. So far, it's all been black, no red. We haven't heard Jesus' voice, but, but when we do hear his voice, his first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So his first words, recorded words in this Gospel, is to declare to all who can hear, The time you've been waiting for has arrived. The time of the king has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. And because it's at hand, repent and believe. That's what his first words are. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe. So what does it look like for us to repent? Well, repentance isn't simply saying, I'm sorry. Or saying that we did something wrong, right? Like that's how sometimes we think of it. We sometimes reduce repentance to simply saying, like, uh, I, I've sinned, I've done something wrong, I've made a mistake, I used my words in inappropriate ways, I didn't think about what I said or what I thought or anything like that, so I'm sorry, my bad, right? Do, do people still say my bad? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, good, okay. Uh, yeah, just 
I'm glad it's not just 45-year-old uh, pastors. So, um, good. So, we don't, it's not just, I'm sorry, my bad, I won't do it again, right? That, that that is what it is, but it's more than that. The actress Kira Knightley, she once uh, said in an interview, she said, if only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You'd just ask for forgiveness and then you'd be forgiven. It sounds much better than having to live with guilt. And you know what? In, that last statement, she's right. It does sound better than living with guilt. But the rest of her statement makes it clear that she doesn't truly understand repentance and forgiveness. Because repentance isn't simply saying, I'm sorry. It's not simply recognizing our sin. Now, it's not less than that, but it's much more than that. Repentance means to turn away. It means to change our direction. Repentance is acknowledging that we are going along a path that we shouldn't be going along. Repentance means that we see that the direction we're going, the things we have done, the words we have spoken, that they are contrary to God's ways. We recognize that and then we turn. We turn away from it. And we walk along the path that God has called us to. Repentance doesn't move us into a place of neutrality. Repentance causes us to turn our back on our sin and walk in a new way. Repentance is living as though the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Like, think about the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray and ask God, your kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as is in heaven. And so the repentant life is one turning away from our own kingdoms and embracing God's kingdom in our lives. Because every time that we sin and every time we turn away from God, we are turning from his kingdom. And we are embracing our own kingdom. But to repent means to lay that aside and to walk in light of his kingdom. That's what it means to repent. And this repentance isn't just one and done. Right? Like we repent when we first believe. We repent when our eyes are first opened to the gospel. But, but the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. That's what Martin Luther said. The whole of our life as believers is one of repentance. Repenting of ongoing sin. Repenting of new sins that arise. Repenting of the ways that we still cling to the world. We are to repent. But Jesus says we're also to believe. Right? We're to believe, repent and believe in the gospel. We believe the gospel. Now, the gospel, that word, it simply means, many of you know this, good news. That's what it is getting at, news. And the news that Jesus speaks of, the news of Mark and of the New Testament isn't just any news, it's good news. And the reason why it's good news is because it's news about God and his kingdom, that his kingdom has come. The good news of the gospel is that in God's kingdom, there is forgiveness for repentance. That there is life where there was once death. That, that there is grace that is greater than all of our sin. And y'all, that is good news. That is the gospel that Jesus at just the right time was born of Mary, born of the Virgin. And he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And he was crucified and died and was buried and he rose again. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That because of what Christ has done, our sins are forgiven. That is the kingdom come. And so what we are to do is to believe. 
believe not in ourselves, right? That's what Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Not believe in ourselves, but believe in Christ. To believe that as we repent of our sins and we turn from our wayward ways and we turn and follow after Christ, we do so by his grace. And that wasn't just when we first believed, but it's for today and for tomorrow and until he comes again. We repent and believe. See, that's what it means to be a follower. It means that we repent and believe, but, but it also means that we're going to prioritize following above all else. And where we see that in this passage is in the response of Simon and Andrew, James and John. So you see, Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these men, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then later, when he calls James and John, we read that they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so we see that as they followed Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, do you see what they're leaving behind? They're leaving behind their vocations and their families, right? I mean, these men were fishermen. These men were fishermen, and in each instance, what we hear is they dropped their boats, they, left, they dropped their nets, they left their boats, they got out of the water, and they followed. They left behind their work. And we see in verses 19 through 20, James and John, right, they leave their father behind in the boat. They leave their father with the hired hands. They walk from family and, and from work in order to follow Christ. Now, before going any further, let me just say that, that they'll fish again, right? They're going to fish again. We know that in the Gospels. They're going to be back on the Sea of Galilee. They're going to be back in their boats. They're going to cast nets into the water and take in a haul. They will fish again, so they will still work. And, and we'll see later in, in, in the Gospels that, that they haven't abandoned their family. They haven't wiped their hands of them, right? Because actually later in chapter one, we hear concern and care for Simon, for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So they haven't ignored their family or walked away from them. So this isn't wiping one's hands of family or his work, right? It's not that they're now these like nomadic paupers who are just asking for handouts, right? They're still going to work. But what this is showing us is that Christ takes priority over all things, even family and work. Like those are our two, two of our greatest values, right? And to follow Jesus might mean that we have to actually lay that aside. To follow Christ demands our entire being and every aspect of our lives. You see, the passage is showing us that call, the calling of Jesus is to make him supreme in our lives and everything, everything else comes second. So if we say, if we say, Jesus, I will follow you if you give me a great career, or I will follow you if you give me a stable family, or I will follow you if my adult children live in close proximity to me. Or I will follow you if I have financial security. Or I will follow you if I can date and marry and be with whomever I wish and in whatever manner I wish. If we say that, if we have an if to our following of Jesus, then the truth is, is that we're actually following and serving the if and not Jesus. Now, I know most of you. And I imagine that, 
I've never heard any of y'all say, well, I'll only follow Jesus if he gives me X, Y, or Z. I imagine that's probably not come out of y'all's mouths. I don't think I've ever said that, not as a believer. But it does make me wonder, I do wonder, what, what not we're saying with our words, but what we're saying with our behaviors and actions. Like if our behaviors and actions are saying we will only follow Jesus if. If it's convenient. If I get to keep all my money. If I get to have my kids around me. If whatever. Like when it works well for me, that's when I'll follow Jesus. When it fits with my schedule, that's when I'll follow Jesus. And we would never say those things, but I wonder if our lives, our behavior, and our actions are demonstrating something different. So let's think about if our kids were to come to us one day and say, you know, Mom and Dad, I feel called to live in economically disadvantaged and potentially dangerous part of our city to bring the light of Jesus to that part. Would we lead with, oh, but that's, that's dangerous. What about your safety? Are you sure that's the wisest decision? Or would we say, follow Jesus? Or what if our children were to come to us one day and say, I'm going to move to a city, move away from a city I've known my entire life and from parents and go to another country to take the gospel there. And maybe I'll never see that city or maybe even never see those parents again. Will we say to them, you need to follow Jesus? Or what if we feel a prompting in our hearts that we should leave our careers and leave this place and go and serve in another place? Maybe take up a new career. You know, when I was in seminary, uh, a lot of my classmates were second career people. Men and women who were in their 30s and 40s and 50s who had left behind careers, successful ones, some of them lawyers, engineers, businessmen. And they left behind that to go and to sit alongside, you know, younger people and learn about the New Testament and the Old Testament and Greek and Hebrew and, and all these sorts of things because they felt God calling them to leave behind career in place and to follow him. Will we follow that if that's what God is prompting us to leaving behind vocation, place, maybe even family. Now listen, I'm not saying that all of us are called to um, put a for sale sign out in our, uh, in our yard this afternoon and uh, leave Roanoke, right? I know y'all can take a deep breath. Um, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that all of us are called to that. In fact, I would say probably most of us, many of us are actually called to follow Jesus right here in this place. But some of us might be called to leave, right? I mean, just a week ago, we wished goodbye to the autos as they moved to El Salvador. In a few more months, we're going to say goodbye to the Martins as they go plant a church in North Carolina. Some people will be called to leave. To follow Jesus may mean to leave behind vocation and place and family. But it may also mean that we follow Jesus right here. And so what are those things that we are holding on to? What are those things that we are clinging to as we live in this place, in our jobs, with our people here? What are those things that we are holding on to that are hindering and inhibiting our ability to follow after Jesus? 
Y'all, that's an important question we need to wrestle with. And for all of us, it, it may be different. It may be the safety of our children. It may be our career. It may be our houses. It may be uh, our neighbors. It may be just we've never lived outside of Roanoke. And, and, you know, we can't imagine Roanoke any other way. And so we have to stay here and we have to cling to it. And we have to hold on to Roanoke 30 years ago because who knows? I don't know what it is for you. But is there something that we are holding on to that is inhibiting our ability to follow Jesus? Because, friends, that is the question in the text. That as we remain, we need to consider what are those things that we are called to lay aside to follow him. See, what I'm getting at is to follow Jesus, whether we stay or whether we go, is that we will prioritize Jesus above everything else. And that's actually for our good. You see, Jesus calls us to follow him in this sort of a way because that's exactly what we are in need of. You see, what was lost in the garden, relationship with the Father, it is restored in Christ. That the thing that we have been searching for ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God and turned from his ways, that thing that we have been longing for, it finds only its fulfillment in Christ. And so all those things that we are holding on to, and many of those things are good, all those things that we are holding on to, we are trying to satisfy that loss. But only following Christ will. And so I ask you, who are you following? Are you following yourself, your desires, your flesh, the world? Or are you following the king? Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And so let us repent and believe in the gospel. Let us lay aside all and follow after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you, Lord Jesus, out of love for your people, have called us to follow. And so we pray that we would throw down our nets and we would leave our boats and we would cling to you, that we would follow you, that we would hear your voice and we would go wherever it is that you would lead. And that we would live lives of repentance and belief, that we would turn from our sin and we would walk in ways that are worthy of the manner, worthy of the calling of the gospel. And so we pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would help us to follow you, and that you would make us your followers, followers who love to follow the leader, who love to follow the king. So we ask that you would do this, and we ask that you would do it by the power of your spirit. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.